You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Good morning. My name is Gabe Myers. For those of you who don't know me, I am one of the pastors here. I'm generally found at the fourth service. I'm also generally here at the last service, uh, 11.30 in the morning. And uh, I'm just very excited to be here this, this, this morning. I'm excited for the worship we've already been a part of. As uh, Jay shared some things this morning, um, he shared uh, this verse out of Revelation. And I was thinking about, uh, as I was thinking about how I was gonna, uh, some things I wanted to add into this message, that was one of them. And then at the end, I didn't use it because it's like, I've got something else. But I was like, but that is so good. And, uh, and Jay has already used it, which is so exciting, which tells me someone else is in charge of this message. Really cool. Um, but one of the things, uh, I, I, I'm usually here on Friday, uh, Friday mornings, and uh, usually by 2 o'clock or so, the office is closed, and there's pr- nobody around. But um, I've always wondered what would happen if, you know, uh, it was time to leave, I checked the building, I locked the doors, I set the alarm, and there happened to be someone inside. What would happen if the alarm went off? What would happen to him? Would the security or the police show up? Would they throw him in prison? You know, how would that, what would that look like? Well, I didn't have to wonder very much because I got this text on Friday after I closed up. You know, I, I, I actually walked out the building. I walked out the building and I went around and then I thought, you know, I better go check and just set that thing, make sure, set it right. And so I, I went upstairs. I, I, was, I was like, you know, is, is anyone in the building? I'm locking up. And Matt Patrick happened to be there, but I didn't see him, and he didn't really hear me. So then I left, and when I got home, I got this text, you set the alarm on me, dog. (laughs) You know? So my response was, (laughs) so uh, my response was, oh, no. I mean, I was wondering, where is he calling me from? Was this his one phone call, you know? (laughs) Um... Well, I guess he figured it out, and he, he, he shut the alarm off before it went off. He heard it start beeping. It was about to, and, and he, he figured it out. So he was safe, but, man, maybe next time. Uh, um, but last week, Jay, uh, we read this passage in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 2. And <laughs> but when we think about, about this... It just ties really well, <laughs> only that uh, the way Matt Patrick used it, you know, he calls everybody dog, so it must mean that I'm his friend, at least that's what I'm thinking, um, and, and here, when Paul uses the word dog, they're not his friends, they're, they're actually evildoers, mutilators of the flesh, that doesn't sound very good. Um, typically, the word dog back then was used by Jews to refer to outsiders, to Gentiles. And in this passage, Paul is using it in reference to those who would typically use the word in reference to to outsiders. They're the dogs. 
Who are these people? These are Judaizers. They, they're people who were coming to the Philippian church and they were telling them, yeah, your faith in Christ is fine, but uh, you need to add works to your faith. In fact, you need to add the Mosaic law. And it isn't enough to just apply the law and the traditions. You also have to convert to Judaism. And in order to convert to Judaism, one of the requirements was circumcision, which if you go back originally, circumcision was meant to show that you belonged to the family of God. It wasn't meant to uh, convert or to make you belong. It wasn't a process to become. It was evidence that you already were. But here these Judaizers were, were telling the Philippian church, you have to do this. And Paul tells them to beware, to be careful from these men. Paul actually goes on later in the chapter and he identifies himself with a people, very people he calls dogs, these Judaizers. Last week, Jay reminded us that Paul could play this self-righteous game. Before coming to know Christ, Paul was one of these very people. In fact, Paul says of himself, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. If he were to, you were to put some Pharisees together, by their very rules, by their requirements, Paul was blameless. He wasn't just an ordinary Pharisee. He was, he was good at what he did. And in this passage, Paul goes on to say, I gave all of that up. And let me tell you why. So he goes on and he, and he says, what were gains to me, I now consider loss. I consider everything loss. He says, I have lost not, does he, not only does he consider them, but he's in prison. And he says, I have lost all things, and I consider them garbage. Last week, Jay said that word is, is refuse or excrement, not a very pretty sight. But that's what he's comparing, comparing what he found in place of this. And why would Paul do this. Why would Paul, and remember last week, Jay took a supposed resume and he said, he ripped it. Compared to knowing Christ, all of the gains, his status, his achievements, his position in culture, his life ambitions, they were considered garbage. Imagine the disillusionment of Paul's family. Here is, go back a few years to when he's a young man. And he's sent to Jerusalem to study, to, to, to get ready for his career as a Pharisee. He studies under one of the brightest minds of his day, Rabbi Gamaliel. And he excels. Everybody's thinking, this guy He's, he's going places. And one day, Paul goes home. And 
he comes home and he says, I gave all that up. I wonder if he even had the nerve to tell his dad or to tell his family. But what would have happened if he said, in fact, I became a Christian? Wow. What did Paul find that would make him give everything up? Why, why leave everything? Well, the main reason was knowing Christ. He got to know Christ. Um, he, he says this, he says all those things, loss, garbage, why? Because it was for the sake of Christ. He says, for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, that I may gain Christ. The worth of knowing Jesus Christ for Paul. Last week, Jay shared this parable. He said it was like a man who was going through a field and stumbled across a treasure. It was so valuable that he went back home, he sold everything to go and purchase that field so that treasure would be his. To Paul, Jesus is that treasure. Jesus was that treasure. Jesus was worth giving everything up. So how did this happen? Where was Paul in his life when he made this trade? If we go back in, his, in time in his life, this picture is, is about Paul on the way to Damascus. Before he came to Christ, when he was a Pharisee, he persecuted the church. He was on his way to this city where he had orders to take prisoners or kill anyone who would follow those of the way, those who were Christians. He was following in line with those who killed Jesus because that's what someone who God, loves God does in his mind. As a Pharisee, he, was, he ended up persecuting the very thing he would become. He thought he was serving God when suddenly Jesus himself, God, appears to him and tells him he's doing the opposite. Could you imagine the shock? Could you imagine being faced with God's very presence, the one you, you think you're serving, and he tells you you're fighting against him? His, his answer to Jesus on that road was, who are you, Lord? Like, who, who am I, who was I serving? Who, who are you? And quickly he realized how wrong he had been, how off he had been. What he deserved in that moment, in that encounter with God, with the holy God, was death. He deserved to be struck by lightning on the spot. That's what he deserved. But what happened? Jesus calls him. And he says, I, I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. Jesus took hold of Paul. And that was the starting point in his relationship with the real Jesus, not with religion, but Jesus. Then the second reason for, uh, for which Paul was willing to give everything up was righteousness. He says, 
to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. The one thing he pursued so hard, righteousness, he couldn't find. He found righteousness compared to his peers, compared to his colleagues. He excelled. He was blameless. But standing before God, that didn't count. Yet by faith in Christ, Paul was transformed from being a condemned sinner to a righteous follower of Jesus Christ. So those were two things that he had found. One last thing that he had found was the power of the resurrection. Paul says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul wasn't afraid to die. He was looking forward to it. In chapter 1, verse 21, he had already said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He was looking forward to experience what Jesus had experienced. Jesus wasn't dead, he was alive. And he wanted to be alive also. So when we look at these three things that Paul had found. He lost everything for them. Were they worth it? Oh yeah, definitely worth it. He had lost everything, even his freedom. He's writing this letter from prison. He found righteousness by faith and he will probably die for his faith. He's pretty much achieved everything, right? If you think about Paul, and all, all of his achievements, he's at the end of his life, he's gonna die, he's gonna die for the faith. Man, you've made it, haven't you? Well, let's see what Paul thinks. In these next verses, he says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. So Paul here is about to die for his faith. It seems like he's achieved everything, yet he says, I haven't. So what is the goal that Paul hasn't arrived at? What is this? What is it that he hasn't already obtained? When we go back to that story in Damascus, what was the goal of that whole thing, of this encounter? That day on the road to Damascus, that shocking experience he was a religious man. He thought he was pleasing God and found he was fighting God. But when he encountered Jesus, he went from following religion to knowing God. He went from trusting in me and my works to trusting in you, to knowing that you are the son of God who bought my righteousness with your very life. And here in this passage, he talks 
about this Jesus as the one who took hold of him with a purpose. Jesus took hold of me, not religion, not my works. Jesus took hold of me. And he says, I don't want you to think that I've already taken hold of it. Keep in mind, by comparing himself to others, again, he he's, seems righteous, he's blameless. But before God, that didn't count. So Jesus did everything to take hold of Paul, to bring him into a relationship with him. So what was the purpose? Why would Jesus do that? Why would he take hold of Paul? First reason, again, just like last week, it's, it's for relationship. It's to get to know Paul. I think about the starting point in my relationship with my wife, Carrie. I got to know her in college, and the first time I met her, I really wasn't sure what to think. She's, she was cute, but I didn't know her. I didn't really connect with her. I just kind of heard her with her friends. And then over time, we became friends. Maybe two, three years down the road. Uh, three years down the road, we actually started talking seriously. And then I asked her dad, you know, can I connect with your daughter? And he wanted to know, what's, what, are, what, what are your intentions? And uh, I was a soldier in Vietnam, that kind of thing. You know, uh, so warning to me. Uh, so I, I had to have my my intentions pretty clear. Um, but, you know, well, over time, I asked her to marry me, and she said, took her about 15 minutes, but she said yes. It wasn't the, yeah. But, but that was, anyway, um, she said yes. We, we got married, and we moved to Kansas. To Kansas, we rented an apartment. I was a teacher at a, a private Christian school. She was gonna teach also. We moved into this apartment, and I never talked to her again. I never talked to her again. Does that make any sense? We have six kids. You're, asking, you're wondering, how did that happen, right? Okay. Um, no, imagine that. How would that make any sense? If I married her, I'm called her husband, and we don't connect. There is a purpose. When I became her husband... There, were, um, there was an expectation, there was a meaning to that word. It wasn't just enough to be called her husband. It means I'm sharing life with her. From Kansas, a few years there, to back to Oregon, down to Bolivia for four years, there were some good times and, and hard times down there. We came back, we, had bought, we bought a house here, making big decisions, Six kids, big decisions. We share life. And I'm, I'm not there yet. I don't know her fully. I, sometimes I just feel like I'm just getting to know her. And then there are other times when I can finish her sentences. You know, We're, I'm getting to know her. And Paul isn't just talking about a meeting with Jesus or a place where Jesus comes and saves him and that's it and now you can live in your space and I can live in mine. Paul is talking about knowing Christ, gaining Christ, to know him fully, to experience life 
with Jesus. So let me ask you, if, if we were to put your relationship with Jesus on a timeline from spiritual birth, where you first connect with him, to maturity, where you're knowing him and you're in that process, where would you fall? Where would you be in that relationship? And maybe some of you in here are thinking, well, I'm not even sure if I'm on that timeline. Maybe you're pursuing religion. Could it be? Maybe you're here, you, you come to church, you sing the songs, maybe you pray. Maybe you talk about things that are spiritual or, you know, churchy. But if I asked you, where would you spend eternity? Or if you would spend eternity with Christ, would you say, I hope so? I, I think so? I've talked to many people and asked them that question. Where would you spend eternity? Would you spend it with Christ? And their answer has been, I, I hope so. I think so. So then I ask, well, how do you know? How do you know? And generally, the answer kind of boils down to this, because I'm not a bad person. When you're comparing yourself to others, that's kind of easy to do. But when you compare yourself to a holy God, let me remind you, this was Paul. He was blameless compared to the guys who were very religious. The scriptures are very clear about where we stand before God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is only one way to be right with God, and that way is through his son. So for us to come to Grace Community Church, if you're here today and you think, hey, I'm right with God because I went to church, because I did the right thing, I am so sorry, because that's not how it works yeah, I want you to come. We want you to come. But whether you come or not, more important than that, I would consider that garbage as long as you came to know Christ, came into contact with Jesus himself. You know, this book, Philippians, the core of the book is all about what Jesus did to get to know us. And here's what it says. It, talking about Jesus, it says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the almighty, all-powerful God sitting in his heaven, in his surroundings, in his culture. And he's willing to leave it all to become man. Why? To die in payment as a ransom for our sin. The righteous for the unrighteous. To call us righteous. Will you really Choose to come before God with your own payment? 
Will you choose to stand before God and say, yeah, I went to church. I prayed. I tried. I was not a bad person. Will you choose to bring your own payment when God has offered his own son as a payment for you? Imagine what that's going to look like. I'm offering you my son. Oh, no, I have something better. Jesus invites you into a relationship, and there is no greater treasure than him. The moment you choose to connect with him, that becomes your relational starting point. That's when you become a child of God. Now you get to walk with him and he will walk with you and help you live the way he lived. That leads us to this part, the second reason why, why Paul was willing to give everything up. The reason why Jesus takes hold of Paul was for relationship, but it's also for right living now. He says, but one thing I do, I'm gonna go back to that. Right living now. The moment that Paul chose to believe he was declared righteous before God. He was made a child of God forever. The man who persecuted the church. You know, this righteousness, it's not just for the future, for when we get to heaven. It's, it's for right now. It's for right choices, for right living right now. Just like that moment when Carrie and I said, I do. I became Carrie's husband. And with that, there were certain rights and certain responsibilities. So, so now the moment we believe we are declared children of God and we have the righteous privilege to come into relationship with the Father, we can boldly come before a holy God and sit on his lap or just hang out with him and not be afraid that our, because of our sins we're gonna be burned we can come to him, we can spend time with him, but we also have the responsibility among, down here among each other to live as his children, to represent the Father. That moment when it comes to faith in Christ, the very presence of God comes, transforms you, and is with you like a lamp in a dark place to help you make right choices, right choices in relationships on what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a dad, what it means to be a friend, what kind of choices to make, what, what it means to work with the right attitude and for the right purpose, to find satisfaction, to find happiness and joy in the circumstances. It's, it's righteousness to live with God. It's righteousness to live with each other. So how do we do that? How does Paul do that? Here's what he says. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I love that underlined phrase there. God has called me heavenward. The goal, the prize is in a direction. And the direction is heaven. The call is coming from God's very presence, from his kingdom, the way he operates. And he's calling. Do you ever think about heaven? 
What kind of a place is heaven? What is it like? What do you think? Tell someone next to you, what's heaven like? Go ahead, tell someone next to you. Is there sin in heaven? No sin in heaven. Is there sorrow? No, he will wipe away every tear. There's no sorrow. Is there righteousness? Yes, there is righteousness. That's the kind of place it is. Now, who's going to be in heaven? If I asked you if there was someone you wanted to meet in heaven, who would it be? I'll tell someone next to you. When you get to heaven, who are you looking forward to meeting? I heard a bunch of people say it. I'll say one of them already. Say it a little louder. Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. To meet Jesus, the one who came and died for me and has given his life for me and I haven't actually seen his face. I look forward to that. Do you look forward to seeing the Father? Yeah. To, to seeing the Holy Spirit, to actually being able to get it? Clearly, not through this haze. Yeah, I look forward to that. Who else is in heaven that you're looking forward to seeing? Is there a person you look forward to seeing? I look forward to seeing my grandmother from Paraguay. Died a couple years ago. She raised eight kids pretty much on her own. And she would get up at four in the morning, four or five, and pray for her kids. I look forward to seeing her because in this life, I didn't really get to connect with her very much after I left Paraguay, which was years ago. But I look forward to seeing her. There are other people that I hope I get to connect with. I don't know, Adam, if he's there, you know. Um, I'd love to sit on a bench with Adam and, and say, what were you thinking? <laughs> I mean, you had everything, right? You had even a, a clear mind. There was no sin in your mind. How was that even possible? But anyway, that's, yeah, we'll see um, if he's there. Who else are you looking forward to seeing? I don't know. That's just kind of fun to think about. But as we think about these people, let me ask you one more question. Who is not going to be in heaven? Okay, Satan. Anyone else? How about a little closer to home? Are there people you care about that aren't going to be in heaven? Do you have brothers, sisters, friends, neighbors, kids, husband, wife, who's not going to be in heaven? See, this is why Paul says, God has called me heavenward. I need to be thinking about who's going to be there and who I'm going to be bringing with me. What's my responsibility? What am I supposed to be doing? And Paul has dedicated his life to tell people about Jesus, to know him, to share this Jesus. So Paul says, says this, the first thing he does is he says, I'm forgetting what is behind. How easy would it have been for Paul to go back and realign his life with his old ways, with his pharisaical ways? Man, there were other disciples like, Paul, like Peter who did that. 
He was having a hard time not falling in line with the Judaizers. Paul reprimanded him in public for it. And here Paul is saying, you know, forgetting what is behind. What does that mean? For Paul, he's in prison and he's saying, I'm not going to let pain, prison, discomfort, struggles define what I do now. I'm not going to let my past successes, my pedigree, my resume, my social elite, that's who he was, my culture. He was a Jew, Pharisee, serving the ones he used to call dogs. He's serving them. So what defines Paul? Knowing Jesus. Righteous living defines Paul. So what defines you? If I asked you who you are, what would your answer be? Are there things in your past? Are there sins? Maybe sins, very recent sins. Addictions. Relationships. Are there pains? Are there struggles? Are there wins? Are there, is there a position? Is your culture, does that affect and influence who you are? Have you stood those things next to the presence of Jesus in your life and asked yourself where you want those things to be in relationship to him? If you stand them next to Christ, where do those things stand? Some things are not allowing us to move ahead. Paul thought he was moving ahead when he was fighting against God. So this is why Paul says, forgetting what is behind, and then he says, I strain towards what is ahead. As we think about this in Philippians, there are two ways people pursue life and pursue happiness. The one is by selfish ambition, while the other is by humility. The one is my way. I'm gonna get it my way, and the other is I'm gonna get it Christ's way. We can choose to humbly surrender and live our lives in humility or we can grasp life the way Adam and Eve did and see how that turns out. Which will you choose? Which are you pursuing? And the last thing Paul says is, I press on. If I'm pressing on, man, it can be hard to press on, but he's saying, I press on, and I should, you know, if you're pressing on, you will be seeing fruit in your life. You will see a change. What kind of change? Are you growing in patience? Do you hate sin more? Or, or do, you, do you struggle with that? Or do you struggle with, you know, oh, this is just the way I am. It's just my character. My dad was like this. My grandpa. Or do you hate sin more in your life? Can you point to circumstances where the Holy Spirit has been with you, where his power has been with you, where he's teaching, comforting, guiding, 
protecting my five-year-old Sammy. I was talking to her the other day, and, and she says, hey, Daddy. I'm like, yep. He says, God is in outer space, and he's protecting our world. I don't, yeah. It's cool that she had her mind heavenward. Maybe I needed it too, but it was just cool to hear that and think, huh, that's quite the thought. He's not just out there, he's here too, but to think he's got it all. You know, Paul goes on at the end of this and he says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. I love how he implies that everyone should be growing here, that everyone should be thinking this way. And then there are some who don't, you know, but, but how, how, how should we be thinking? We should be knowing Christ. And if you do, you should be living for Christ. It should be visible. Christ should be visible in the way you live. When we come as a church and people come in, there should be something different. A few weeks ago, I got a text from someone here uh, nearby who I've been investing in, in, in this group of people for at, over at the food pantry for, for a while and I've, I've gotten to know them. They know I work here and they, they know there's a standing invitation to join us at the service or just to talk. Um, well, I got this text saying, you know, what time is that service? She showed up with her husband and her daughter and after the service she said, I had no idea. I'm like, what, what do you mean? She says, when I wrote that text, we were going through some things and I told my husband, we need to go, to go back to church. And the next week, two weeks later, she wrote and she said, you know, when I wrote that, things, we were struggling through things, but something's different. And it started because we came here and I don't even know what it is, but there's something different in our lives. And there's something different. If you know Jesus and you're living for him, it will be evident in your life. It will be evident in your interaction. It is evident in you. Have others come closer to Christ because of me? I hope so. Paul says, you know, when he talks about these who don't quite get it yet, he says, and if at some point you think differently, that too God will make it clear to you. He's, he's not too concerned about them because if they're in a relationship with Jesus, well, they might still be a baby. And they'll get it, but they need to continue to invest. Be concerned about investing in that relationship, in knowing Jesus. And everything else will get cleared up. Just put him first. And then Paul says, you know, what should we be concerned about? What is, what is our main purpose? And he says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. What have we already attained? Paul himself said it. You know, forget what is behind. Strain towards what is ahead, towards heaven. And press on. Is it easy? Uh, no. As I invite the worship team to come up. Is it easy to forget what is behind? To strain? To press on? No, it's not easy. It wasn't easy for Paul. He's in prison. 
It wasn't easy for the Philippians. That was a church that was born in persecution. And oftentimes, it's not easy for us to press on. But Jesus invites us. He asks us to take up our cross and follow him. Isn't he with us? Isn't he with us? As we continue to worship, think about the things that maybe you need to leave behind. The direction in which you need to point. Think about, think about what lies ahead and press on. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.